Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. We come to our third epiphany manifestation today. First, the angel star led the pagan magi and the world with them to the holy child. That was our first manifestation on the feast of epiphany. And then on the octave, in the waters of Jordan, we were cleansed from the stain of sin. And that washing prepared us without spot or blemish for the heavenly nuptials which is depicted today in the third manifestation of this miracle at the wedding in Cana. You see here in these three manifestations in Epiphany, this beautiful progression. First, the world is evangelized by the leading light and brought to the Savior. Then, because the world is unclean, she is washed in the waters of baptism and then made ready for the final manifestation, and that is to be joined to Christ as his spotless bride at the wedding supper of the Lamb. In today's Gospel, the Apostle John calls this the beginning of Christ's miracles and a manifestation of his glory. I think John, better than anyone else, knew how to pack his narratives with rich symbolism. And this story of the wedding of Cana and the miracle here is one of his best. He shows us, he shows us how the old has given way to the new, how the old, maybe better said, is fulfilled in the new. Christ is the new man, Mary the new woman, the church the new bride, wine of the new covenant replaces the thin water of the old, the third day ushers in a new and eternal age of incorruption to replace the age of corruption. Now not only does John masterfully unfold these mysteries in his telling of the miracle. But also all of the church fathers insist that on the very natural temporal side of things, the presence of Christ and his mother at this wedding affirms and sanctifies marriage in this life as a sacrament of the marriage of Christ and his church. St. Augustine says in one of his several sermons on this passage for this feast, he says, For this cause, therefore, did the Lord come to the marriage to which he had been invited, namely for the confirming of conjugal chastity and setting forth the sacred import of marriage. Now, when we come to this passage every year, uh, it's a wonderful passage to preach on, a preacher's favorite. There's so much to mine in this miracle story. And over the years, we've cut many shafts. But today, I'm going to restrict myself to a few brief comments in the vein of marriage. The things of greatest significance in this life, all of them really, when it comes down to it, usually have something to do with birth, death, or conjugation. 
Dr. Englehart put it a little bit differently. He said everything of any importance in this life always had to do with birth, death, or copulation. That's what he said. <laughs> um, which is probably true. The arc of a life is defined on both ends by baptism and the funeral. And marriage sits right in the middle. Marriage at the center of that, those bookends, really holds equal place of import. In the very creation, the very creation and the fullness of the human being is male and female, summed up in marriage, our very humanity, and the continuation of our humanity. Likewise, in the new creation, the new creation is fulfilled. How? Through Christ and his bride, the church. Marriage, in itself, is a birth. In both the old, the old covenant, and in the new. The woman, as we know in the creation story, was born of the man's side. There in the garden of paradise, the woman came about by extraction from the man, taking his rib. In the place of a skull, in the new, the woman came from the thrust of a spear, which brought forth blood and water. Marriage, besides being a birth, is also a death. Marriage, as we can attest, is a death to self, a death to singularity. So the whole of life, from birth to death, is really encapsulated and manifest in marriage. Marriage is when one ceases being one and two become one. Now, you may be thinking at this point, what about those of us who are not married? We have quite a few people in our community who are not married. Well, you're not left out. I mean, even the monk is considered to be wed in a special way. And for those of you who are neither married nor monks, you are still married as members of the Bride of Christ. In fact, St. Paul tells us that you're in a position to actually realize the highest form of marriage. When I was a young man, um, I decided to quit dating at one point. And I decided uh, I would quit dating and I would just wait until God brought along the right woman. And I determined, I determined to myself, I said, I will devote myself to the local church just as I would a wife. That's what I said. And that's what I did. And I can tell you without hyperbole that God rewarded my commitment a hundredfold. I would encourage you, if you're in this station of life, to do the same. If you're in a place in your life where you can have more freedom to be more involved at church, attend more services, offer more of your time to the needs of the community, you should take advantage of this opportunity. Even if you're not called to be a monk, you should be a monk while you can. You should devote yourself with singularity to the church as much as you're able and fulfill your marriage vows. And I promise you, you will reap a great reward for it. But whether we are married in the flesh or celibate, regardless, we are all married to the bridegroom. And we are all vowed to conjugal chastity, as St. Augustine says. Conjugal comes from the Latin meaning yoke. We're yoked. We're yoked to one another and we're yoked to Christ. And that holy chastity is manifest in our life in our participation in the wedding supper of the Lamb, a life of prayer, devotion, sacrifice, and obedience. In the Hebrew Scriptures, 
Israel's depicted as God's bride. But sadly, we know the story of how Israel repeatedly played the harlot and was not faithful to her heavenly husband. St. Paul says her escapades were recorded in order to warn us not to follow in the same path. When Christ comes, will he find one who is faithful? May we be faithful. May we be faithful, preferring him above all else, above all others. Preferring the immortal bread in this Holy Eucharist. Rejecting all other foods which spoil and waste and really do not satisfy. All of us today, as we read this wonderful story, we can think of ourselves as coming to the marriage supper. Coming before Christ with clean hands and a clean conscience. We can rejoice in holy joy that we've been made the very bride of God. That holy star, which began several weeks ago, has led us to this supper so that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.